Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. Open up your Bibles across all of our campuses if you brought them to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 18. Uh, and while you're turning, um, this morning during our 8.30 service at Highland Colony, uh, during worship, the Lord really dealt with me about making this message applicable to everyone, including myself. And he showed me in my own life three addictions that I've wrestled with. And I, I was not necessarily writing this message in this context, but I thought the, the Holy Spirit really helped me see something that I want you to see in your life. Um, three addictions that targeted three specific things. The first addiction that I faced in my life was food. Uh, I grew up with that addiction um, because it was the addiction that was preceded before me. And we mentioned this last week. I'll say it again. Whatever's not treated by this, tran- uh, this generation is transferred to the next generation. Uh, my father at 44 passed away of a heart attack. Uh, my uncle passed away at 56 from heart disease. Uh, both lives men uh, cut short and both men's lives cut short by the addiction of food. And while that might not be applicable to your genetics, it most definitely was applicable to mine. And Satan with addiction is always trying to target areas of weaknesses in your own flesh. And so he watches us to see areas he can attack us in. And he tempts us in those areas trying to get us to be foolish where the Holy Spirit is asking us to be wise. And we say this all the time, that in our lives, the Holy Spirit's going to deal with our hearts. And when he deals with your heart, don't make excuses, make changes. Addiction wants you to make excuses. And this addiction in my life was prevalent. Uh, Whenever I was in stress, I turned to food. Whenever I wanted pleasure, I turned to food. I'd feel shame and guilt and hide how much I was eating. Um, I wouldn't be honest with myself as to what it was costing me. And in my life, it was hurting me, but it was after something specific. And this is the first thing that addiction is after. It was after my destiny. And I know that if I did not confront that addiction in my life, it would take my life. That if I did not confront that addiction in my life, it would rob life from my wife. It would rob life from my children. It would rob life from you. That addiction was after destiny. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the primary ways he does that is addiction. And I saw that in my life at the age of 30. I had a couple of moments that happened uh, very consecutively. And I won't go into detail as to what those moments were, but it was moments where my eyes were opened and I saw the pain of what would happen if I did not confront this addiction. And with the help of the Holy Spirit and others, it was something that I was able to deal with. But had I had not dealt with it, it would have cost me destiny. Uh, the second thing that addiction was after in my life was potential. Uh, so number one, destiny. What is addiction after in my life? Number one, destiny. Number two, potential. 
Um, the second addiction that the Lord showed me in my life was video games. Now, this may sound funny to you, but it was very real to me. Uh, when my father passed away, he passed away at 17, I developed a very strong attachment to video games. Because anytime you're in pain, your brain wants to find a way out of that. And when I played video games, it was an escape. You're, you're so caught up in the game that you're not thinking and processing your pain, and it became something that had me. What is an addiction? An addiction is something that when you leave, you really don't. That even when you're away from it, you're thinking about it. That even when you're not participating in it physically, you're participating it in, in it mentally. And this was strong in my life. And I began to uh, have my life gravitate more and more to that. And if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've heard me talk about the testimony of like me sitting in my father's office and seeing all the books he read and, and that type of thing. And I took my TV and threw it out on the side of the road. That was me confronting that addiction of video games in my life. Of I saw it, I had an unhealthy attachment to it, and this desire for comfort was costing me growth. And as long as I chose, listen to me, I'll help you if you want, if you want the help, I can. As long as I wanted comfort, I would not have growth. And as long as I was, um, you know, in my life, prioritizing entertainment above wisdom, I would miss my potential. And so at 22, I confronted that in my life. And I, I made a decision that if I have you, that's one thing. But if you have me, it's a whole nother thing. And I look at that as one of the pivotal moments in my life of just addressing that addiction in my life. I see also out of that, that, that one choice really shaped uh, my interaction with my wife and children as well, and the potential that I have there. I don't know if I'd be walking in as much intimacy as I walk in with my wife and children had, not, had I not have addressed that issue in my life. Uh, the third addiction um, in my life, uh, and this is one that has come up periodically, uh, it is after lordship. Destiny, potential, lordship. And this is my phone. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but there are moments in my life where I, I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, why am I looking at you? Like, I don't even know where this started or how long I've been with you. Like, it's, it's one of those things. And then you get the screen time report and it's like, what? How, how long was I on this every day this week? Um, and those types of things. It's an addiction. And they make it addictive. Now we have all of the, the things. On our addictions, we can find out about our addictions. You can go on Netflix, which many people are addicted to, and find out why you're addicted through the, the, the TV shows that they run telling you how they're addicting you. You know, all of those types of things. But it's these dopamine hits that our brain gets. And when we go to it, we find pleasure. Uh, we find release. We find relief. And the problem with this, and you say, well, it's not costing me destiny, it's not necessarily hurting my potential, but it's making it your Lord. And whatever is your Lord is the thing you're led by. And I have noticed the, the tendency to have my phone be an addiction in my life has come at key moments where God wanted to lead me in something. And had I, had I not have created moments of silence and stillness with him, 
Like one of the rules that I'm integrating into my life is my phone will be off until 10 a.m. Because my mornings belong to the Lord. And, and out of that, I, I, if I don't create moments of stillness, moments of silence, I will miss his leadings. And out of that, like if you are a basic disciple of Jesus, there are so many things that are good as long as you are in control of them. But as soon as they begin to master you, and we'll, we'll talk about how you know something is mastering you in a minute, but as soon as it becomes a master over you, it is replace the Lord as Lord in your life. It's controlling you. It's, it's, it's telling you how much time you'll spend on it. You want to resist it, but you're not. It's beating you. And out of that, it's replacing the Lord as a Lord in your life, and it'll limit his leadings in your life. And so it must be addressed. And so when we think of addiction, I don't want you to be thinking about somebody else today. Uh, I want you to confront you. Um, and, and there could be other people that this message is for you share it with, but I want us to take the, the, the beam out of our own eye before we adjust the speck that is in someone else's. Amen? Uh, so let's dive into this. Uh, we're going to see somebody who's addicted to a place, a city, and a lifestyle in the name of Lot. So we read this last, uh, a couple of weeks ago. In Genesis 18, there is um, uh, God coming to Abraham and telling him consequences coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at that for context really quick. Genesis 18 and verse 20. The Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and the sin is exceedingly grave. And this is a problem. Uh, because um, the outcry of the addiction is crying out for consequence. The cry of addiction is consequence. Now, it doesn't want you to hear it, but it does it all the same. And God is showing this to Abraham, not so Abraham can be like, well, they're going to get what's coming to them. He's showing it to Abraham because he wants Abraham to pray for them. He is looking for someone to stand in the gap, and not just any old someone, but someone that he loves by the name of Lot, because Lot is in this addiction. Lot is in this lifestyle, and Lot is completely unaware he needs to make a change, so an intervention needs to happen in Lot's life, because if it doesn't happen, consequence is going to come that is going to consume him and his family. And so out of this, God is raising up Abraham to pray for Lot. And because Abraham is praying for Lot, God does something in Lot's life that he would not have done otherwise, which is why it is so important that you pray for people who need prayer. Because had Abraham not have done this, this would not have happened in Lot's life. God sends, you can read about this in Genesis 19, and we'll look at some of this. God sends two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah to get Lot and his family out of that city. The problem is, is when the angels get there to get them out, they find they're addicted to it. They're addicted to the sin, they're addicted to that lifestyle, they're addicted to that way of life, and they don't want to leave. And so watch this play out in Genesis 19, and let's look here in verse number... 13. Um, for we are about to destroy this place 
Because the outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us here to destroy it. These are the angels talking to Lot. You've got to leave this place and leave the addiction. Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, Get up from this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. Watch this, though. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. Um, No one's taking this seriously. Uh, There is something that is hurting them, and there is something that is darkening their understanding. There is something that is blocking them from a a walk with the Lord. There is something that, that is literally crying out for consequence, and they're playing around with it. Uh, He appeared to be joking. He appeared to be jesting. It keeps going. Verse 15. When morning dawned, let's just stop right here. If two angels come, two angels, ladies and gentlemen, two angels come to you and say, the place that you're in is about to be destroyed. Would you sleep on it? Like, would you, would you come to this moment where it's like, we'll handle that in the morning? You know, that kind of thing. They sleep on it. And when morning dawned, the angels, watch this, urge Lot. Now, is this something Lot is, is progressively moving towards? No, they're having to urge him. Uh, there's an intervention going on of like, you need to change. Move out of this place. Um, they are urging him, saying, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of this city. Watch this in verse 16. But he hesitated. He doesn't want to leave it. He doesn't want to let... How do you know you're addicted? Try to let go of it. How do I know I'm addicted to food? Fast. (laughs) Sugar, fast. Caffeine, fast it. Which is why Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. Because fasting confronts lordship like nothing else. How do you know you're addicted? Try to leave it. And he doesn't want to. He's joking about it. He's minimizing it. He's, he's not taking it seriously. He's, the devil lives in tomorrow. He says, I'll do it tomorrow. God lives in today. If today you hear the Lord's voice, harden not your heart. Now is the time of salvation. Take no thought for tomorrow. God's the God of today. Satan's the God of, well, I'll do it tomorrow. You've got time. Hesitate. Wait. Delay. Uh, So out of this, he's hesitating, he's waiting. So the men seized his hand. We're going to talk about that divine pull at the end of this message. So the men seized his hand. The angels are pulling him out. They grab the hand of his wife. They grab the hands of his two daughters. Watch this. This is awesome. For the compassion of the Lord was upon them. Why? Someone was praying for them. The Lord is literally pulling them out of this place. Why? Someone is praying for them. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. And when they had brought him outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. And do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Now notice what they said here in verse 17. Don't look behind you. They're like, leave this and don't look back. And so, of course, what do they do? You see this in verse number 26, but his wife, and this is interesting to me, and I could major on this, but I'm not sure I have time. But his wife from behind him. He's leaving his wife in her addiction. 
He, he's not running with her. He's not hand in hand. She is behind him. His wife, from behind him, looked back and became a pillar of salt. Salt pre- preserves. She was kept in that moment because her soul kept looking back at it. What is this addiction? Addiction invites consequence. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He brings addiction into your life and mine to bring those consequences to us. God in his mercy, with the help of his Holy Spirit, angels, and people, will do whatever he can to wake us up from our addictions and to bring us into a path of life. Uh, Now, I want to give you just some simple points that if you're serious about breaking free from this, if you'll take these points seriously, you can be free in the name of Jesus. There is no addiction at any place or anyone listening to this. There is no addiction that is too strong for the Lord Jesus. Whom the Son sets free can be free indeed. You can be free. Uh, But the first thing we have to do is, number one, we have to admit it. I have to admit I have a problem. I have to admit there is something that has mastery over me. Watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. He's, he's like, under grace, well, it's like I can get forgiveness. He's like, yes, um, thank God for it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. He's like, there are some, there's some things that are hurting me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. What what is addiction? It is the thing that is mastering you. You you lost control of it. At one moment, you had control of it. Now, it has control of you. And that could be as dangerous as pornography and drug abuse. Uh, And on one end and on the other end, that could be something just as dangerous, uh, an addiction to Netflix or an addiction to, to, um, you know, something in your life that is, is taking over the lordship of Jesus. But at one point, it's like, I have this under control and now it controls you. And so at one point in Lot's story, he's looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. At another point, he's not looking at it anymore. He can't leave it. It has taken mastery over his soul. It's not just like around him. He's not handling it. It is handling him. And and this is something that I, I want you to see, and I want you to ask these questions. What is mastering me right now? Not, not my neighbor, not, not my cousin. What is mastering me right now? What, what, what do I need to let go of? But when I do let, uh, let go of it, it still wants me. Um, am I minimizing my addiction comparing it to others? It's not that bad. I mean, at least I don't have blank. Uh, you know, that type of thing. Am I minimizing it? Um, do I make excuses as to why it's still okay for me to have in my life? Um, here's what I, I want you to see is that the enemy's lie is the same in all of our lives. It is the lie of Samson. You can have this in your life, not deal with it, and be fine for a while. And so Samson, he's with Delilah. Everything in the story and everyone outside the story can see 
this is clearly something, Samson, that needs to be addressed in your life. Like, if you, if you have this woman constantly in your life, it is not going to end well for you. Like, everything points to this being in your life is going to hurt you. But what is Samson saying yet? I have handled it, meaning in the past I had this in my life and it didn't hurt me. I have handled it. I am handling it. His thought was like, it's not hurting me now. It's right here in my life and it's not hurting me. So I have in the past had this in my life and it didn't cost me. And now I've had it in my life and I'm handling it. Like I'm still okay. Therefore, I can keep this in my life and I can keep handling it. And what is that? It's pride. Pride will come to every one of us and say, you know what you can do? You can handle it. It's not that bad. It hasn't cost you. It's not costing you. Therefore, it will not cost you. And the voice of the Holy Spirit is like these angels pulling on your heart saying, you need to address something in your life. There's something here that is crying out for consequence that if it goes unsurrendered, it will hurt you. Admit it. Uh, why do I need to admit it? Because if I don't admit it, it stays in the dark. And here's the thing about all sin and addiction. Whatever is in the dark grows. When you bring it into the light, it minimizes it, which is why we have to, as churches, be people that are so merciful that people are not afraid to show us their addictions and to show us their wounds. Like, we can't have this cancel culture come into our churches where you have to be perfect in order to be accepted by us. No, there is the blood of Jesus. It really is still a thing that though your past may be riddled with scarlet, his blood can make you whiter than snow. But we'll never confess our addictions to each other, our faults to each other, if we're afraid of being judged by one another. And, and so we have this religious culture that even in church makes people hide their addictions, to come to church dealing with addictions, but to never tell anybody about it, including themselves. Samson said, I'll shake myself and be fine. And it was the truth until it was revealed as the lie. And it cost him more than he ever wanted to pay. Thank God it didn't cost him destiny, but it definitely cost him lordship, and it definitely cost him his potential. David's looking at Bathsheba. I can handle it. The servant is like, no, you cannot. That is Uriah's wife. This is not going to go well for you. And he's like, I can handle it. I'm king. There was no admission until Nathan the prophet came to him and it's like, you can't handle it. You are inviting chaos into your life. You are inviting chaos into your family. If it's not treated, it's transferred. Look at what happened to Solomon. Look at what happened to Absalom. Like, David, you can't handle this. Surrender it to Jesus. Bring it into the light. And the first step to overcoming all addiction is this admission, coming into a place where I admit there's something in my life that needs to be addressed. The second step, and this is a big one, is you have to come to this place, number two, you have to come to this place where you see why you must change. And if you don't see why you must change, you never will change. If you lose sight of the why, you'll lose the discipline of the what. Write that down. 
If I lose sight of the why, I'll lose the discipline of the what. Somebody says, what in the world does that mean? Addiction is the what. I need to stop blank. If that's all you know, you never will stop. You need to know why you must stop. And if you know why you must stop, you'll maintain the discipline to do the stopping. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2 says this. Let's pay attention to it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the hand of God. Do you see how Jesus disciplined himself? How? He never lost sight of the why. He set a joy before him. And he said, you know why I'm going to endure the discipline? You know why I'm going to face all of these things? Because I'm not seeing this, I'm seeing the joy. And when you are, are yielding to your temptation, yielding to your addiction, you don't see the consequence, you only see the pleasure. Esau, in Hebrews 12, it shows us the counterpoint to Jesus. He sees the food. He's only thinking about the short-term pleasure. And out of that, in thinking about the short-term pleasure of the food, he does not see the long-term pain of missing his birthright. So he trades his birthright for a morsel of soup because he doesn't see the benefit of the discipline. And, and here's something you've got to know. And, and like it, it, I, I don't enjoy telling you this. It's just the truth. If you want to be successful, you have to sacrifice. I, I don't care what it is. If you want to be a successful in marriage, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice your selfishness. You're going to have to sacrifice your way. You will never be good at marriage while maintaining selfishness. You've got to sacrifice. You want to, you want to grow financially? The successful, they're sacrifice. They spend less than they earn. They invest. They, they read books on it. They study. They put money aside for special things. You want to be, you know, successful spiritually. There's sacrifice. It's like, I don't feel like coming to church. I'm going anyway. I don't feel like walking the altar. I'm going to walk the altar anyway. I don't feel like praying. I'm going to pray anyway. Like you press through the pain to the sacrifice. Well, why does anyone sacrifice? Because they are more mindful of the why than the what. If you're serious about breaking addiction, I want you to make a list. And, and the, here's what I want you to do with that list. What will it cost you if you do not change? You need to admit it. If I don't address A, B, and C in my life, it will cost me this. It will cost me my family. It will cost me, how many years? How many years will it cost you? It will cost me my potential. It'll cost me hearing from God. It'll cost me the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus said, if you're not faithful with money, I'll not give you true riches. If you're not disciplined with money and you're addicted in that area, he said, you're missing out on all of these true riches because I test you in this before I give you this. What is it costing you to maintain this addiction? Who is it costing you? What's it doing to your health? What's it doing to your soul? What's it doing to your mind? What's it doing to your potential? What's it doing to the, the man and the woman in the mirror? That when, when you look at yourself and you stand before yourself in the mirror and you look eye to eye with yourself, do you have to look away? What's it costing you in your confidence? What's it costing you in your anointing? 
See, all addiction is rooted in me being unmindful. I reached out to several people who, who I know have overcome big addictions. I asked them, what, what was your secret? Almost every one of them said, our addictions were rooted in unmindfulness. When we turned to our addictions, we were not mindful of what it was costing us. And as soon as we were able to pull back from that stress and pull back from those moments and see, if I keep doing this, it will cost me blank. They said, immediately we begin to see a need for change, which is the heart of all intervention, of everyone in your life can see, if you don't change, it's going to cost you blank. But they can see it all they want. If you do not see it, if you choose not to see it, the change will never be made. And so you have to see, if I don't change, this is what it will cost me. But then I want you to flip it and say, if I do change, if I do make this adjustment, if I do confront this addiction, what will I see happen in my life? If I make a decision to beat this, if I make a decision to conquer this, if I make a decision to face this, what will it bring into my life? What will it bring relationally? What will it bring to yourself? What will it bring to your soul? What will it bring to your marriage? What will it bring to your children? What will it bring to you economically? What will it bring to you in the anointing? Write it all down and see it. Jesus set a joy before him, and that joy motivated his discipline. The third thing, and this is what makes us different. Like, you go to, to any type of training on these things, and be like, first, you have to admit you have a problem. Everyone else can see the problem, but if you don't see the problem, you'll never change. You have to admit, something in my life needs to be addressed. Secondly, you got to see why you need to address it. Other people can see why, but if you don't see it, it won't matter. Thirdly, though, you've got to cry out to God. You've got a heavenly father who wants to set you free. And we just read a story where God was so serious that even with another person's prayer, there was a pull on Lot's life that was breaking him out of his hesitation, breaking him out of his joking around, something literally grabbing him by the hand and saying, you have got to leave this place. And you know why that heavenly pool was there? Someone was praying for Lot. You cannot give up on people. You cannot give up on people. They need a heavenly pull. But here's the thing. You know what I found in my own life? I need a heavenly pull. I want a heavenly pull on my life. I want God's grace to help me face everything in my life I need to face. Jesus said this in Matthew 6 and teaching us how to pray. He literally said, pray this way. Father, don't lead me into temptation. I want you to deliver me from evil. Every day you should lift up the thing that you want to see changed and Father, and just say, Father, I thank you. You give me grace to beat this today. That today I have grace to say no to this. I don't expect you to swing the sword, Father. I'll swing the sword. I'll, I'll face Goliath. But I'm just thanking you that when I do, I've got a grace to face him. You direct the stone. You direct the swing. Father, I thank you. Give me grace for this moment. Let temptation not overtake me. Deliver me from the consequence of this evil. Father, I thank you for grace. Paul put it this way in Hebrews chapter 4. Watch what he says. I love this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with your weaknesses. If you've got an addiction today, a weakness in your flesh that manifests over and over again, I want you to see something. God is not mad at you. 
You may have religion be mad at you. You may have religious people mad at you. God is not mad at you. When we read about Lot, he's joking around about it. When you read about Lot, he's playing around with it. When you read about Lot, he's hesitating, even wanting to leave it. But the Lord's compassion, oh, don't you see God's heart? The Lord's compassion was on him. That we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And somebody says, well, that's great. He loves me. But he doesn't just love you. He wants to help you. Which is why Paul said what he said next. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And I want you to know, notice these two distinct words. Mercy is for your past. And for some of us, you need to know that no matter what your addiction has cost you in your past, God's mercy can wash it away and God's mercy can come in and give you a fresh start. But God is not just a God of mercy, of eliminating the things that have uh, have happened in our past and the shame of them. God is a God of grace. And grace is for a time of need. And you know when a time of need is often demonstrated the most? Right in the throes of the thing you're addicted to coming to your soul. And so God said, when you see that thing coming for your soul and a time of need that is trying to bring you into that temptation, no, I'm not mad at you. I'm trying to help you. So instead of turning to it, turn to me. Ask me for grace in that moment. To say no to this thing. And this is why this is so important. Because you could beat addiction in your own strength and have a story. But if you beat it this way, you're going to have a testimony. And God wants you to have a testimony of his grace and goodness. So other people, when they hear about how God helped you, can see God helped them. Invite God into those places. Invite God into that moment. And lastly, if you're wrestling with addiction, I want you to find a community. And I want you to change anything in your life that is absolutely creating an environment that makes you comfortable in your addiction. I want you to change anything in your environment that makes you comfortable in your addiction. I want you to change anything in your environment. Men, I want you to get around men who call you up higher in marriage. I want you to get around men who call you up higher in fatherhood. And anything that makes you like lower your standard for marriage, lower your standard for these things, I want you to separate yourself from that. Lot's biggest problem when Abraham was in his life was he had too much cattle. Literally, that was his biggest problem. As long as Abraham was in Lot's life, Lot's biggest problem was we have too many cattle. The biggest problem in Lot's life when he was with the men of Sodom and Gomorrah was his soul was being darkened spiritually and chaos was coming into every nook and cranny of his life. The devil wants you alone and with wrong spirits. Your addictions manifest when you're alone. He wants you alone and with wrong spirits. He wants you hiding and he wants you around people who lower your standards. I want to ask you a question. If we, if we, me and you, wherever you are, if we all had lunch today, just me and you, we had lunch, how many of your addictions would manifest in front of me? 
How many of your addictions, the thing done around bad spirits and alone, how many of them would manifest in my presence? Even if you didn't know me, but you just knew my title or you knew what I did for a living, um, how would your behavior be adjusted? Why? It's the power of influence. And when you get around people who call you up higher, it will challenge you and make you uncomfortable, which is why we often forsake those people and get around people who make us comfortable. But the people who make you comfortable are lowering your standards. You need to get around some people who call you up higher. You need to get around some people who challenge you. You need to get around an environment that challenges you physically. You need to get around an environment that challenges you mentally. You need to get in life groups. You need to do life with people who are calling you out of the darkness, not joining you in it. You need to be around people who come and say, it's okay to come to this place the way you are, but we're not going to leave you the way you are. Just being around us is going to call you up to a higher level. You've got to change your community. My father was a drug addict. And one night, his eternity was changed through answering an altar call. But his life was changed the next day when the guy who met him at the altar said, if you're serious, I want you to go around to every single one of your friends and I want you to tell them I belong to Jesus. I want you to tell them you got saved last night. I want you to tell them I'm done being here. If you want to serve Jesus, then you can call me. If you don't want to serve Jesus, you can't call me. And out of that, put him in a youth group. And at that youth group, he made him tell his testimony, changed his world. My my father met my mom at a Christian bookstore. He met her in an environment that was calling him up higher. They started a family. We're a byproduct of that. This church is a product of that. Why? Someone confronted their addiction by confronting their relationships and saying, I don't want this life any longer. So I'm going to get around some things that call me up higher. And if you're serious, I want you to do the same thing. Amen. 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 Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the great love you love us with. And Father, I thank you. We will not be a slave to sin any longer, but whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I thank you, Father, across all of our campuses. Your power is breaking addiction off the lives of your people. That, Father, today so many people, like my father had over 40 years ago, so many people today have a moment and an encounter with you that sets them free in a way that is completely unexplainable. Father, we thank you for the same divine pull that was on Lot's life, the same divine pull that was on my father's life. That pull, I thank you, Father, that grace comes upon us today. And that grace comes upon the people that we love and we say addiction no longer will have us or our family. But Father, you will be Lord and you will break the power of addiction off our lives and off our families. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, across all of our campuses, I want you to do something. I want to end this moment with just worship and proclamation over our future, over our families, and over our lives. 
I want all of our campuses that as we begin in worship that you stand to your feet and you just make a decision to cry out to God just as Abraham did. That you understand that you have a God who has grace for you right here, right now. And as we turn to him, his power can meet us in this moment. I love you, church. Let's worship the Lord.